Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It is Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation. My guest will recap how markets have performed over the past few days and preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Uh, joining us for the conversation this week, glad to welcome back Matt Tormey, Associate Equity Strategist Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Matt, great to be with you as always, thank you for dropping by. Looking forward to our conversation. Hey, good morning, Dan. So, Matt, reflecting back on the past few sessions, what stood out to you as the drivers behind market activity, investors' sentiment? It's interesting, looking back over the past couple of weeks now, it appears that sentiment turned more positive. Yeah, it definitely has. So, um, so if we just look at this week, um, the S&P 500 index was up ever so slightly and traded higher in three of the previous four sessions. While there wasn't a lot of volatility in markets this week, markets were focused on retail and home improvement earnings and the I'm seeing you. Both of which on a bit later, but taking a step back, markets have seen quite a strong rally since the year-to-date low in mid-June, up 17% since then. And there are a few key drivers we can point to. First, as you just mentioned, Dan, back in June, investor sentiment was pretty poor, with only 18% of investors bullish over the next six months, as measured by the American Association of Individual Investors Sentiment Survey. And historically, when sentiment has been this poor, market performance tends to be quite positive throughout the course of the next three to 12 months. And this is what we have been seeing. And just to provide some perspective, the current now at 33%. So sentiment has definitely turned more positive as the market has rallied. Second, inflation came in lower than expected in July with the consumer price index flat month over month and up 8.5% on a year-over-year basis, which was down from 9.1% in June. And with longer-term inflation expectations still anchored around 3%, the case for peak inflation is much stronger and this does take some pressure off the Fed to raise rates aggressively. Third, better-than-expected earnings in the face of slowing growth has provided an additional catalyst for the market as well. Fourth, and interestingly enough, gas prices have fallen during the same time period, which may be alleviating some concerns that a much higher percentage of consumer wallet share has had to shift towards fuel costs. And finally, growth stocks have led on the upside, driven by a trend lower in interest rates, and economic growth concerns still being top of mind for investors. You did mention the Fed a few moments ago. On Wednesday of this week, we did receive the minutes from the Fed's July policy meeting. So from your vantage point, Matt, were there anything in the way of notable takeaways that you would like to share with us? And can you even speak to CIO's expectations for the upcoming September policy meeting, which will be in heavy focus by investors? Yeah, so on Wednesday, we did receive the minutes from the July FOMC meeting at which the Fed did hike rates by 75 basis points. And in our view, although the tone of the minutes was fairly hawkish, there really weren't any major surprises from the release. So just to go over the notable takeaways, first, the Fed is likely to continue raising rates as inflation remains well above their objective. And in order for them to achieve this objective, FOMC participants to expect monetary policy will have to move into restrictive territory. Second, although there are no signs that the Fed is considering pausing the rate hiking cycle, 
the minutes did note that it would likely become appropriate at some point to slow the pace of rate increases, which is consistent with what Fed Chair Powell did say at his press conference. Third, the Fed will not rely upon oil price and commodity price declines as the basis for a sustainable move lower in inflation. So this suggests that the Fed sees little evidence inflation pressures are subsiding, and it's going to take much more than lower than expected inflation data to dissuade them from hiking further. And finally, on the labor market, the Fed made it clear that by tightening policy, a moderation in labor market conditions would likely lead to a decline in the number of job openings and a moderate increase in the unemployment rate. So to wrap it up, it is our view that we need to see at least three months in a row of subdued price increases before the Fed considers pausing rate hikes. And we expect the Fed will raise rates by at least 50 basis points in September. But Again, policy decisions will be data dependent. Right. Well, Matt, thank you for sharing some takeaways there. The Fed, of course, has been a significant point of interest amongst investors and for sharing with us CIO's latest expectations for what we might see from the Fed in September. I do want to close the loop on something. I do recall you joined us last month at the start of the Q2 corporate reporting season. Now, Matt, with most of the reporting now in the rearview mirror, how did results, Matt, measure up? up to CIO's expectations heading into the reporting season. Yeah, so it was only last month, but given how markets have traded and how this earnings season has played out, it definitely seems like it's been much longer than that. So I'll start off with providing some of the high-level takeaways at an index level, and then given the major consumer company earnings that we did see this week, I can provide a recap on what we found to be most interesting. So first, Second quarter earnings season is in the final stretch, with 95% of the market cap having now reported. Of the companies that have reported, 68% beat on sales and 73% beat on earnings. In aggregate, earnings are beating by just shy of 6%, which is better than our initial expectations of a beat rate closer to 3 to 4%. Corporate profits are growing by 10.5%, which is also better than our initial expectations of about mid-single-digit growth. And finally, sales are set to grow by more than 14%, which is a solid result in the face of tougher macroeconomic conditions. Now, we also heard from a number of retail and home improvement companies this week. So just to quickly recap what we found to be notable from some of the major players in these industries. First, within retail, management teams noted that they started to see increased private label penetration as consumers were showing signs of trade-down behavior. Second, although inventory levels remain quite elevated, year-over-year growth rates did fall from the previous quarter, and although the second quarter could have been the peak in markdown pressures, we're likely to still see these pressures continue in the third quarter among the COVID-winning categories such as home, electronics, and apparel. And third, Sales and traffic trends have improved recently, driven by back-to-school shopping and a fall in gas. And then quickly, just touching on home improvement earnings. First, pro-businesses are still seeing strong consumer demand, and although DIY businesses were weaker on a relative basis, companies expect this part of the business to improve through the second half of the year. Second, while inventory growth does remain high, Part of this was driven by a shorter spring season and shifts between price-sensitive products such as grills and patio sets. And third, average ticket sizes saw solid growth in the quarter while store traffic and transactions fell. So 
Summarizing this earnings season, we think it's fair to say that the second quarter was better than feared, and our 2022 S&P 500 EPS estimate of $227 per share is roughly in line with the bottom-up estimate now, while our 2023 estimate of $235 per share is about 3% lower. Thank you, Matt. A very helpful recap there. Another earnings season in the books, and as you pointed out, encouraging takeaways, results overall sound uh, better than feared, as you pointed out. So if we pivot to the week ahead, Matt, what will be taking place that you'll be keeping an eye on that could have the potential to move markets? Yeah, so next week we'll receive a few notable earnings releases within tech and healthcare and Within the consumer discretionary sector, we'll hear from the dollar stores as well. But turning to the economic calendar, towards the end of next week, the annual Jackson Hole Economic Symposium is set to take place, which is always an event to keep an eye on. This year, we aren't expecting any major developments, as we have continued to hear from Fed speakers just in the past week. We recently received the minutes from the July FOMC meeting, which we just previously discussed and key data releases that will influence policymaking, such as the August CPI and employment reports, won't arrive until after the symposium, but they will come before the September FOMC meeting. So outside of Jackson Hole, on Tuesday, we'll receive a few housing data points for July, including new home sales and building permits, and it'll be interesting to see how these releases come in, considering other housing data points have recently come in weaker. Also, we'll receive preliminary August readings for the market PMI manufacturing and service indices, as well as the August reading for the Richmond Fed Index. On Wednesday, more housing data with pending home sales for July, along with variable goods orders. On Thursday, we'll receive the weekly initial and continuing jobless claims numbers, which have both been recently trending a bit higher, so something to definitely keep an eye on. Also, the second reading on second quarter GDP is set to be released along with the August Kansas City Fed Manufacturing Index reading. And wrapping up on Friday, a few inflation-related data points with the release of the July core PCE reading, which is the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, and the final Michigan Consumer Sentiment Index reading for August, which includes data on inflation expectations. Lastly, We'll also see the latest data on personal income and spending. Okay, so a busy week ahead, especially on the macro front. So thank you, Matt, for the preview there and for joining us on top of the morning to wrap up a productive week. And thank you for sharing some takeaways as to what you have been picking up on with respect to investor sentiment as well. Very important, though. Wish you a nice weekend, Matt. Thank you again for dropping by today. Thanks for having me, Dan, and have a great weekend, everyone. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash CIO disclaimer. 